Hi, I'm Melody Astley. I am the Chief Revenue Officer at Finlistics. And hi, I'm Stephen Timmy, the founder and president of Finlistics, and you're listening to Purpose Driven Entrepreneur. So Melody and Steven, thank you so much for saying yes to being a guest on Purpose Driven Entrepreneur. I'm so excited to talk to each of you. I don't know, Steven, if I should call you Steven or Dr. Timmy. I feel like Dr. Timmy is like almost like an ego stroke for me. I'm Timmy. I'm a big fan of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> great, great, great last uh, first name, by the way, Timmy. But no, you, you can call me Steven because like I tell people, I don't give shots. So <laughs> Steven works just fine. Great. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to, to talk to you. You both authored a book together called Insight-Led Selling, Adopt an Executive Mindset, Build Credibility, Communicate with Impact. I'm excited to dig into that with you. Before we get into any of it, though, I'd love it if you could just give our listeners some context. Uh, how does your business work? When did it start? And how, what's its growth been like? I'll, I'll take the first part of that. So, uh, yep, in a previous life, I was a professor of finance at Emory University, here where I live, and you're fortunate enough to be able to do some consulting. And so I got to work with a lot of different companies, see how they manufacturing banks, kind of see how they worked internally, and then decided, as much as I loved academics, I want to start a business where we're doing more and more of that. And then what happened is it transitioned into actually focusing on sales, because you know, the idea was if this is how companies run themselves internally, why wouldn't sales folks be looking at their customers the exact same way? So it's really an evolution from academics to now almost 24, not 24 seven, but a lot is focused on working with our friends in sales. Melanie, you want to explain the rest? And that was how many years ago, Stephen? When I had dark hair, uh, <laughs> I actually started, I left the university in the early, the early 90s, and we've been focused on sales since uh, probably the early 2000s. Yeah, and um, I joined Finlistics about eight years ago, and um, what we do at Finlistics is we work with B2B sales organizations, B2B marketing organizations, uh, sales organizations who are who are working through complex sales, who are trying to close uh, larger, more strategic deals, and as part of that, they need to call higher and broader within their organization. So we help them with that in a couple of ways. One, we have a, a sales intelligence platform called Client IQ that helps sellers very quickly understand their customer from a financial perspective. Um, how do they compare to their peers? How do they compare to the industry? How do you start to prep to call on different buyers within the account? And just an overall view as to what's happening with them from a business and financial perspective. The other part that we do is uh, we, we have coaches who work with, with the sales teams to help role play them through. How do you tee up? How do you execute an executive conversation effectively? Mm. What, what's been a major growth moment in the life of your company? Like what was a problem and a solution that caused a big growth for you? Uh, well, as more and more of our clients are exactly what Melody said. And nowadays, if you don't understand your clients, you're, you're just, you know, why, why even bother? So as, as more and more companies did that, uh, it was a lot of growth. And then we were very, very blessed to work with some of the top technology companies and they liked it so much. They said, well, let's have a site license. And we were like, love to accommodate you. So, you know, just, just 
getting the bigger clients in that, but at the same time, building momentum with really all size clients. So it's just the, the way the market is now, not just around the financial aspects of it, but wanting to better understand, as Melody said, how do you talk to executives? Not just how do you talk to executives, but what do you talk to them about? So we've got a lot of industry expertise. Yeah. So just out, right off of that, I'm curious, what's a commonly held belief about talking to executives that you passionately disagree with? Something Millie, you know, that a lot of people I, think that you're yeah. like, no, it's it's not that, it's this. Um, I, I think that a lot of people are intimidated by, by just the notion of calling on an executive. It's scary. They're more senior than me. They're smarter than me or whatever these notions are. And, and I disagree with that. I believe that when, sure, you have to have um, a point of view and you have to be well-prepared and you have to be provocative to the customer. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who they are. They, they put their pants on just like everybody else. Yeah, you said, yeah. okay. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Stephen. No, and I was going to add to that in our, our book, uh, we interviewed about a dozen executives, pretty senior level buying executives, and almost every one of them said, here's what I want from, the, from their solutions. I want to solve a business problem and enhance my financial performance. And from them, it's tell me something I don't know. In fact, uh, was it Steve Clancy, uh, the CIO at Georgia Pacific, said, bring me something fresh. So that, I think that's, everyone thinks, oh, they're, they're executives and they're so smart and they got this team. They all said, no, no, we don't have all the answers. We, we want you guys to help us find the answer. So I thought that was pretty cool. Why were they all asking you to tell, you, tell them something that they don't know? Because they don't know everything. I mean, that, that's what like Candy Conway, who we talked to, she's a was a senior VP of worldwide operations at AT&T. She says, I have a big staff, I got lots of consultants, but you know, I'm just like everyone else, I'm so heads down. And the point being that sellers are out there seeing all kinds of different companies. They see, Timmy, all kinds of implementations, ones that work, ones that didn't work. And like, just tell, tell us what everyone else is doing to improve performance, you know, or confirm what we're trying to do make, make sense. But they, they, they said, we don't have all the answers. No one has all the answers. So that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty cool. Sellers just have to have the confidence. Melody, something that you said, so I'm curious. So if I'm a salesperson, I'm going to have a conversation with an executive. What do you mean when you say, make sure you have a point of view that you are saying something provocative and uh, well-prepared? <clears throat> well, I can tell you what they're not looking to do is understand what executives have no interest in are the, the features and functions of your product. It is the executive's job to, to drive business growth. And the, the basis of business growth are financials, right? You are the, how do you make money? How do you save money? How do you invest money? It's that simple, right? Yeah. And so because this is the language that they speak in and how they're measured, it's how they're paid and it's how they build their strategy. So when I say a point of view, I'm saying spend that time to understand how are they performing and what areas, what are their goals and strategies? What do they need to accomplish? And how can your solutions potentially help them? And so when you're coming in with the business-led conversation, business-led point of view, rather than a product or technology point of view, you'll be more provocative because you'll actually be saying something they want to hear. Hmm. I like that a lot. Um, when you were talking about just the intimidation factor of talking to executives, I could resonate with that so much, just literally from this podcast. Like when I first started going, all right, I'm going to try to interview like CEOs and founders of big companies and executives. Oh my gosh, I was terrified. <laughs> so scared. 
Um, and the thing that I realized, uh, well, one of the things that I realized is that my imposter syndrome just what it went down in relation to how many of the conversations that I was having. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. It's, it's probably a combination of just, that's of course what will happen if you have a billion conversations with a certain type of person. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's been my experience. Good. So you, you guys wrote the book insight led selling and um, in your author hour interview, you said something that I thought was interesting. You said, it's not a trick. It's not a process. It's an approach. What do you mean by that? Well, Stephen, I think you said it. So back it up. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not uh, tips and tricks. Like a lot of our customers say, look, we, we don't want you coming in here you know, with your tip, you know, uh, other organizations, you know, here's tips and tricks and all that kind of stuff. And it's, there are processes involved, but it's process neutral. So I don't care if you're using Challenger or any of the other ones out there. It, it fills a lot of those gaps, you know, get to know your customer. What's the point of view? What's the value of your solutions in that? So it's, it's really, you know, there's, there's structure to it, but it, it doesn't replace an existing uh, sales process. So it's really just basic principles uh, that, you know, were confirmed by these executives and, I haven't done a lot of work with Fortune 500 companies. I saw them applied internally anyway. So it's, it's really not tips and tricks and that kind of stuff. And here's how businesses run their business. Uh, none of them are perfect. And that's, they, that's how they do it. You ought to be following the same approach in sales. Yeah. So you, you're calling it an approach. Why the name Insight-Led Selling? Well, the basis for the book is um, how, do you, how do you develop financial insights? How do you develop customer insights? How do you develop industry insights? And so it's it's saying back to the point of view, it's how do you establish this point of view? You do the research, but then you you get, you, you take the, the data and you come up with some ideas around it, right? Data for data's sake doesn't help. But when you, when you put it into something that's meaningful to your customer, well, then it becomes an insight. And the yeah. more you provide insights and tell them something that they don't know, the more effective you'll be. I yeah, had a job. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, because if you think the word insights, data is one thing, but when I hear the word insights, I think, oh, this, this is something actionable. And, and, and that's what really focused on the book, these different dimensions of insights, and then how you tie all those together. But it's very action focused, not like, you know, here's what the CEO cares about or this. I mean, it is, but it's not, you know, how to talk to executives. It's about what to talk to executives about. Yeah, I'm curious if you have any rules of thumb around how do you develop actionable insights off of data? And the reason I ask is I used to have, so my job just before I started my company, I worked as content strategist for a media company called Sweetfish Media. And most of what I was doing was honestly this, I was doing podcast episodes with um, heads of marketing at B2B SaaS companies. And um, it was really fun because I baked original research into the pre-interview process. So I'd pre-interview them before they'd come on the podcast. And I'd ask them all these research questions as a way to warm them up, to ask them POV discovery questions that I could then unpack into episodes on the podcast. And it gave us all this data around the way that they are measured, the way that they think, the way that they operate, all that stuff. And then my role was to uncover insights off of that data 
But just as that was like the next thing that I was supposed to be focusing on, uh, my company started to take off. And I was like, hey, I, my company's doing great. Yeah. I, I've got to go. I decided that I'm leaving. <laughs> but anyway, all that to say, I'm curious what your rules of thumb are or ways of thinking about how, how does somebody create actionable insights off of data? Well, I mean, it's both science, you know, and, and art and science, like everything, but, you know, they're, they're, they're really. <laughs> That's all fine. Don't worry about, about it. That. No, uh, go ahead with your answer. No. So it's, it's both science, you know, and, and art, art and science. And so part of it is just, and this is where I think the better sellers are, are good at this, you know, like reading the person, being able to read the tea leaves and those type of things. But the science is, you know, once you start knowing what the goals are and you can start linking those to things like, well, here's how they're doing financially, but here's how I can maybe help them is that that's where you are taking these what appear sometimes to be, uh, you know, siloed data, whatever you want to call it. And you start pulling that together. And it's not like you have an epiphany, but you do say, hey, this this makes sense, you know, and that's why this person is trying to do this. Or here's how I can go talk to the CMO and say, Hey, you know, I, I know you're really focused on these areas. Let me tell you how we've helped others. Melody, if you want to take a shot at that melody. Yeah. Um, what, one of the things we talk about is the numbers do tell a story, right? So when you when you look at these numbers, the numbers themselves are just data, but then you can ask yourself, ask yourself, well, is there a trend to this? Is it up or down? Based on that, what are what are the things that's happening? What's causing that performance impact? Um, is it something unique? Is it something happening to the industry? Is it something that the customers like, you know, they, they're, they're underperforming? What do these things mean? And as you ask those questions and begin to uncover what's happening behind the numbers, those, those are insights. It helps to build the story. Yeah, it's, it. it's, it's not just, even though I'm a finance person, it's not just about, the, the numbers are a manifestation of how a company is, what they do and how well they manage the business. And that, that's where you can really start, like what you were talking about. You can start looking at the numbers and then peeling them back and getting some clues and saying, oh, this appears to be the area where perhaps they need the greatest help. And oh, by the way, that's consistent with a publicly stated goal they have or whatever it might be. So I, I one time had this uh, accounting professor, and I can't even believe I'm saying the word accounting, but anyway. Uh, he said, the numbers will set you free. And we all sat there in the class like, oh my God, this guy is nuts. But it's true. What do you mean by it's true that the numbers will set you free? Really just what I said. If you, if you, if you can see, uh, for, in fact, I was just looking at a, a company with one of our customers and uh, they had this huge spike in revenue growth last year. And, you know, we started peeling it back and what they did is they made, not all their division, one of their divisions makes uh, medical equipment that was being used to test and, and treat uh, COVID. So it's like, but if you just looked at the, num the, the numbers, the consolidated numbers, you go, oh my gosh, you know, how these guys get that kind of growth? Well, once we peeled it back, we saw what happened. And now the question is, you know, investors get addicted to high growth. Right. So now this company's trying to think, well, how do we duplicate that for 2022 and 2021 and on and on and on. But the numbers gave us some, you know, said, look further. We looked further, said, oh, it's just one division because the rest of them had some serious problems that year. They, they saved all the other ones. Mm, got it. Um, so I like to ask this question and sometimes it produces an interesting thought. Sometimes it doesn't. But 
how the question is how could somebody who's honestly trying to follow your advice and your approach screw it up so like what are some pitfalls that somebody who's honestly trying to follow you could fall into <laughs> well you mean follow the approach not melody and i is that right <laughs> yes I don't, I don't think anyone wants to do that melody why don't true. you you why don't you why don't you take that one please um, well, one of the, one of the pitfalls could be if you're looking to create a val well, one pitfall is making incorrect assumptions and not validating the assumptions. So if you've done your, if you've done your homework and you build your whole case around, um, a piece of research that you've made, we need to achieve operational efficiency or whatever, AKA cut costs. And you build your whole story around that. And then you go in with that whole story, don't validate it and aren't able to dynamically change. What if you go to the customer and say, oh no, we've achieved that. Now we're on to something else or let's focus on this. And you're unable to do that. You're stuck, right? Yeah. So I would say just understand what the different opportunities could be and be able to be dynamic in, in, in responding to what the client says. Yeah, another pitfall is trying to do it all on your own. We make it very clear throughout the book. This, this is a team sport. I mean, no individual seller has the time to do a lot of this stuff, like creating an industry point of view or how do our solutions impact this or whatever. So it's it, a pitfall would be, uh, you know, either an individual trying to do this by themselves or just it, it's not it's not viewed as a team sport. So it's not a team sport. It just simply is not going to work, although the principles are great, right? I mean, there's only so many do you hours. Think it's, do you think it's just very difficult for a solo person to create an industry point of view? And maybe this is just coming from arrogance to think that I have an industry point of view and maybe, you know, maybe I don't, but I, I definitely have an industry point of view when it comes to the, the world that I'm playing in of kids books. And it's that most of them are boring. And most, most of the times when adults try to write a kid's book, they're writing from their adult perspective. And so it's not going to resonate with a kid. You've got to like lay your agenda aside and thoroughly put yourself in the mindset of a kid if you want to entertain a kid. Um, and yeah, I don't know. So the, the way that rubbed me, I was like, well, I don't know. I think individuals can come up with industry points of views. Well, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Timmy, it sounds like you got a lot of experience in the field, right? I mean, in, in that industry, but what's happened is uh, the average number of buyers in these bigger deals now are in excess of 10. So how, how can I know, oh, this is what marketing, you know, wants in retail and here's what store operations wants in retail and here's what distribution. And I'm not saying there are people are like, I know people that are like that, but they've got years and years and years of experience. They even yeah. came from the industry. So the point being is that, you know, you got to pull together all those internal resources to say, what, what's going on in the industry? How do we help? I said the word how, and then, you know, how much? Yeah, very true. Because you're what you're talking about is trying to develop in industry points of view around their industry, not that's your right. industry. So that's the key that's thing right. I'm missing there. Right. And, and I, it sure would benefit me if I'm trying to turn industry leaders into kids book authors to really try to develop points of view around the industries that they are, uh, that they are serving. Sure. Um, so, in these conversations that I get to have on this podcast, I learn, I feel like I learned so much from executives at companies talking about tips and tricks and strategies and approaches. Not that you're just tips and tricks and strategies, but approaches and all these sorts of things. Winning in the world of business is a very fun game. I find it interesting to also have the conversation around why. 
like why or why did you choose to pursue growing the business that you've chosen to pursue and as as um leaders of your company what is it that you feel like you're living for well for, for me one of the things because i've 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 personally seen how finlistics has worked well for me in, in my sales career right so then when i can come on the other well on the other side of the desk and and begin to tell people about how that works and you really believe in it uh it makes it makes a huge difference and and another rewarding thing is when we're working with clients and we just can see the progress you can see the confidence build you can hear them make them being uh having a good point of view and being more provocative and you can see them coming along that and they just say you know thanks this really has been a skill that i will use forever for the rest of my career. It's just, it's very, very uh, rewarding. Yeah. And, and for me, I come from a family of um, volunteers, teachers, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, even get my PhD, I love to learn. I, I'm passionate about finance, but um, it was almost like I was taking a vow of poverty to help people. So <laughs> still, you know, I still, it's like people, knowledge will set you free, right? Knowledge is power. Knowledge allows people to move, move on in their lives. And so, uh, you know, and I'm not going to say that we don't enjoy making the money. We do. We love, we love it. But at the root cause, at least for me anyway, is that, you know, really helping people. And Melody, as you said, I, I've had people come talk to me like years and years later and said, you know, this, this changed my life and, and not just their own professional careers, but help them personally to be able to say, okay, I've been able to accumulate wealth. I'm able to, you know, send my kids to a school or whatever it is. So, a lot, a lot of it is about, you know, giving, which quite frankly, I think, why, why else are we here? Yeah, I agree. Why else are we here? I, I'm curious why each of you, when, when I ask the question, you know, what are you living your life for in the world of business? Uh, each of those answers that you gave, Melody, why, why is that what jumped out at you the most? Because to see people make an effort to better themselves and reap the rewards of it, it is. It's just helping helping other people um, feel more comfortable about something that they weren't comfortable with in the first place. Yeah, Stephen, what about for you? Same, same, really the same thing. As I said, my my family background is my folks were always volunteering, and there were six kids in the family, and they were bringing kids home from the orphanage, and I was just always so. About you know, give, 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 not in some weird way or something like that. And that's just, it's just part of, part of my DNA. And fortunately we were able to find a gap that said, okay, here, here's this gap. We have the knowledge to help. And then Mel, you and I have talked about this, you know, surveys show that most, almost 80% of executive buyers think sellers don't understand their business and they're idiots. Well, you know what? I don't like that. <laughs> I think, I don't think, I know a lot of sellers, they're not idiots. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, I think a lot of time need, need that help to do that. So it's like, like I said, like why, why we're here. Yeah. Um, what is something that you each currently suck at that a year from now you want to be great at? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, Steven, go ahead. That's a big <laughs> one. Like I have like 20 different ways to answer yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got a lot of different ways. Um, I, I want to learn a language. Like oh, I interesting. Okay. Learning. Yeah, because I travel a lot, right? And just just if you can get a little starter kit 
people seem to embrace you more. And so I've been threatening to learn Spanish for a long, long time and I always put it off and I'll watch things. And so I, I just think it'd be so cool. Uh, so I was younger, I knew some German and that's why I thought it was like a cool dude and everything. Me but too. I, I was I, fluent in German as a kid. Oh, I because I'm fr- my, I taught I'm a, a German citizen. Oh, okay. Well, I taught in Austria for six months. And I went over there and they wanted me to speak English in the classroom. So, I, I mean, I learned a little bit like the kite, right? Okay. Uh, but, but, but anyway, so yeah, I, I like to, I like to know another. That like is another so language. interesting, Stephen, because I've been threatening to learn Spanish too. I'm not stealing your answer, like what he said, but I've got ideas about that. We can take it off, off the podcast, but for real. Yeah. Um, have you, um, have either of you tried Duolingo? I'm not like, no. you know, trying to no. trying to sell them or anything, but uh, what's nice about it is it's, it's very gamified. So it's like, so I'm trying to learn Portuguese right now. Cause my wife is from uh. Brazil and um, uh, it, I'm definitely benefited from the fact that like my wife is Brazilian. So I'm, I'm toying with the idea of like, as soon as I get to level three on Duolingo, we're going to pick a day of the week where during the daytime hours of that day, it's Portuguese only. Like we're not allowed to speak English. Um, But what Uh, I like about it is that it's very gamified. So you're very motivated to keep going because it's tracking your streak. And it's like, you don't want to let your streak die. I think they're headquartered out of Pittsburgh, which is where I'm from. Pretty sure they are. Um, But the thing that I would, that I want to be better at just kind of in the vein of hobbies is just as I was threatening to learn Spanish. I've, I want to learn bridge. I want to learn how to play bridge. My challenge is to find three other people who are as committed over the long haul as I am. But if I can Why be bridge? better at bridge. Oh, just because I think it's so, I think it's fascinating. I like the level of difficulty that it has. No one says it's easy. You're always learning. It keeps you sharp and you can do it forever. You know what I mean? And now it's coming back. Like it used to just be like this little old lady thing, you know? Old lady and thing, it, yeah. It still is. It still is. But now there are, um, it's it, the whole demographic is is changing around bridge. So. No, like, I, thought, I thought you were going to say learn to fly a plane, which you started. Ooh. Well, there's that too. See? Ooh, I want to learn to fly a plane. But I you, think my wife you would don't not wanna, be happy with that. Yeah, you don't want to suck. About you don't want to be bad at flying a plane. There, there's that. <laughs> you don't want to be bad yeah. once. Right. That's true. Um, I, I, I've got my last for fun question that I asked, but I've kind of already asked it to you guys and we're having a whole conversation around it. But I like to ask um, business leaders, if your company were to make a kid's book, what would it be about? Well, I, w- I would think because we we work with lots of sales organizations and, and, you know, kids have this notion of their parents sit in front of, especially nowadays, right. They just sit in front of call after call and talk to a screen. And it's like, what exactly do they do? Yes. I would like to step through like a day in the life of, of a salesperson or a sales leader, whomever it is. And so depending on who it is, what are the challenges they face? I have somebody who's not making their number. I have someone who's complaining. I have, or, or I have a customer who's mean, or I have a customer who's so nice or some, yep. something like that. So kids yep. can sort of understand that it's not easy. Talk no, about, I, I, uh, oh, sorry, Stephen. I just keep talking over you. That, <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, being a finance person, I like to teach them, you know, finance, right? Because how it can help you grow a base and that, but it's also, I'd probably lean towards the sales route because life is about sales, right? Yeah. It's about both sides feeling, walking away going, 
I, I feel really good about this. So this could either be like, you know, selling, <laughs> selling your folks that this would be a cool place to go on vacation. You know, they, they too could have fun or, you know, the, the parents selling the kid, like this way you really got to do your homework. I don't have to yell at you or just relationships. Life, life is about sales. And, and, you know, what we've learned is, you know, there has to be what we call customer success. You win only if they win. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I can tell you the average kid does not understand. So I've been touring with this book, Lucas, the dinosaur entrepreneur. And in the book, Lucas, he pitches uh, his, his neighbor on the idea of him getting paid by her to exercise her dog because her dog's overweight. So he like figures out, oh, I could monetize my playing outside time if I can get my neighbor to pay me to play with her dog. And, um, and then he pitches her on the idea. And I like to ask the kids in the classroom, who do you think got the better end of the deal? Do you think Lucas got the better end of the deal? Or do you think Mrs. Spinosaurus did? And <laughs> a lot of the kids, will, there'll be a whole debate that goes on in the classroom over whether Lucas got the better end of the deal or Mrs. Spinosaurus got the better end of the, end of the deal. And um, the whole point of it is the harder it is to answer that question. This is where I try to drive the conversation to is that the harder it is to answer that question, the better the deal. And um, this is not something that is naturally understood by, by kids. Um, and I remember being a kid and trading Pokemon cards and there was, it was a whole thing around like, could you be such a shrewd Pokemon card trainer that you end right. up like getting, you know, good cards yeah. for, for nothing. Um, and so I use that analogy because Pokemon made a resurgence. So I use that Pokemon card analogy too, to kind of explain like, like imagine if I traded a bad card to you for a really good card would you ever want to trade with me again and it's like no. no would would any of your friends want to trade with me no it's like so imagine if a lucas you know ended up uh like mrs spinosaurus got a really bad deal how would that go for lucas's new business and so it's just been a really fun conversation to have with kids yeah, um so and this has been a really fun conversation to have with you on this podcast thank you so much for being on no. Uh, everyone listening should definitely go check out your book, Insight Led Selling. Is there anything else that you'd like listeners to do? Well, uh, it's, on, it's on Amazon. Look it up, Insight Led Selling. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very much into, you know, give to get. So if you follow us on LinkedIn, we've always got twice a week, uh, some pretty informative information out there, not just like they can give you a call and drive you nuts. And same thing, our web, website, finlistics.com, F-I-N-L-I-S-T-I-C-S.com. A lot of good stuff out there to help you get started on this journey, to, to start the, your insight led selling. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. All right. Thank you, Timmy. Thanks, Timmy. Fun. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.